Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello everyone and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today I'm delighted to welcome back Sheikh Hassan Spiker. You're most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam rahmatullah, Paul. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you back. Now, for those who don't remember um, or don't know, Hassan Spiker is a philosopher and second generation Anglo-American Muslim. He spent 12 years studying the Islamic intellectual sciences in the Muslim world, primarily under the guidance of the Iraqi sage Al-Sayed Qusay Abu Sid. Abu Al-Sud, beg your pardon. He subsequently obtained degrees in philosophy and philosophical theology from the universities of London and Cambridge, where he is also currently completing his doctorate. He's the author of these books, uh, Things As They Are, Nafs Al-Amr, The Metaphysical Foundations of Objective Truth, uh, The Metaphysic, uh, The Metacritique of Kant and the Possibility of Metaphysics, and my favorite, which you must get, everyone, Hierarchy and Freedom, the, an examination of some classical, uh, metaphysical, and post-enlightenment accounts of human autonomy. Strongly recommend uh, that work. And his next book trans is Transgenderism and the Assault on Human Nature, Navigating Modernity's Endgame, which is <coughs> that should be interesting as well. Now, in a recent article uh, entitled... Uh, October 7th, the terminal hypocrisy of a crumbling West and the dawning of a new age for Muslims. You wrote the following momentous words, I think. The war that has ensued in the aftermath of October the 7th is the defining event of our generation and a true turning point for all future relations between Islam and the West. And I've uh, invited Sheikh Hassan Spiker just to read uh, his article to us because I think it's worth reflecting upon and perhaps discussing uh, the content. So over to you, sir. Thank you so much, Paul. A'udhu billahi min shaitan rajeem. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa baraka rasidina Muhammad al-Mustafa al-Nabi al-Ummi al-Tayyib al-Tahir al-Zaki salatan tanhallu biha al-Aqad wa tanfirju al-Karab wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. October 7th, the terminal hypocrisy of a crumbling West and the dawning of a new age for Muslims. The war that is ensued in the aftermath of October 7th is the defining event of our generation and a true turning point for all future relations between Islam and the West. We witness in its unfolding nothing less than the final dissolution of the post-World War II settlement and of the ensuing America-centric and Eurocentric world order, whose centerpiece was a self-justificatory moral narrative centered on the liberal democratic West's virtuous triumph against the paradigm of pure evil. So centered on the liberal democratic West's virtuous triumph against the paradigm of pure evil, Hitler and the Nazis. 
The core sacrificial victim symbolizing the liberal democratic right to moral leadership were the Jews, slaughtered in the Holocaust, but subsequently rising up from the ashes to heroically assert their will to survive in the construction of a new nation. Now that the very paradigm, indeed the veritable platonic form of embattled, irrationally maligned minorities had been rescued from the death camps and culturally rehabilitated by the Western powers, became emblematic of the claim that a liberal, proto-Rulesian Western relativism alone could safely host different minorities by dissolving them into a neutral humanity governed by an original position from which vantage point previously fraught differences would finally be resolved exactly by treating the substantive claims of Jew, Muslim and Christian as equally meaningless expressions of arbitrary, culturally constructed collective will. Yet the liberal order's great claim to moral leadership is that they are nonetheless protected cultural artifacts of constructed collective will. In the successful imprinting of belief in the inherent relativity of all culture and opinion upon the masses, the illusion of bewildering self-expressive and self-identificatory diversity in the melting pot of major Western societies has been essential. It provided the backdrop to the 1990s West's universalist self-presentation as alone capable amongst the world civilizations of accommodating such pluralism and diversity because of its unique transpartisan tolerance. In turn, this prevailing impression was able to successfully dress the justification for its unquestionable hegemony and the pious raiment of moral self-evidence and necessity. But following on from a long chain of painful shocks, chief amongst them the war on terror, the October 7th war constitutes the final death blow to any vain hope of saving this flagship moral claim of liberalism from ultimate and intrinsic failure. It has, like no event before it, fully exposed, fully exposed liberal secular society's much vaunted diversity of cultural and intellectual expression as no more than appearance. Granted. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Journalistic history is littered with all too great a surplus of opportunistic turning points. But the power of the confluence of factors presented by our present circumstance ensures that ours is quite a different case. The West's vacant ratification of the most transparent Israeli evil of arbitrary and unrestrained mass murder 
is for Muslims surely the final nail in the coffin of Western moral legitimacy at a time in which the West is simultaneously devouring itself in culture wars and in the frenzied worship of whimsical dysphorias. They no longer heed, they no longer can heed the wisdom teachings of their own book. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Can I, can I just pause you there? Because uh, the, this thing about their own book, people may not realize that's actually a quote of obviously from the Bible, uh, from the, the, the synoptic gospels. So this is allegedly a, a saying of Jesus about Shaitan, about Satan. So, uh, um, you can look it up. So this, the book referred to here is the Bible. Just wanted to clarify that. Sorry to interrupt. Not at all. Thank you. Little footnote there. Yes, a person of color with an unpronounceable name may be allowed to enter number 10 or the White House on the unnegotiable condition that he prove an even more intransigent neoliberal than his white mentors. But where are the Sufi sheikhs or Hindu pandits in number 10? It is only that comedic, impossible image that could ever represent the true diversity that liberalism claims. Mm. To the contrary, having long foregone <clears throat> genuine pluralism which the liberal order can no longer rouse itself to affirm even as, an even as an ideal. It has at length finally confessed the strict impossibility of its neutral position. Populist movements in Europe and America, which we've seen in the last two decades arising in Europe and America, wish to recreate assertive partisanship for a distinctly Western, even Christian culture and identity while doggedly refusing to repudiate the ethical and metaphysical arbitrarist voluntarism that itself guaranteed the giddy 20th century melting of all that was solid in Western civilization. I, th I think there on, on that point, by the way, people like Jordan Peterson and Douglas Murray come to mind. <clears throat> but, but both of them, like Douglas Murray, for example, um, popularist right winger, affirming a, a, a traditional, even a Christian kind of um, cultural tradition, but actually mm -hmm. uh, in its heart, he is an atheist, uh, and arguably Jordan Peterson is as well. So um, the, the exterior there, but indeed within it lies, as you say, a reassertive, uh, an assertive partisanship, the distinctly Western, even Christian, inverted commas, but without dealing with the inherent metaphysical arbitrarist voluntarism, as you call it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, it's something that we've seen. It's been quite shocking that mm. October 7th and the aftermath and the war have been used by right wing commentators who, in many ways, we viewed as potential allies or actual allies in discussion yeah. of traditional values and so on. But yeah. unfortunately, many of them have used it as an opportunity to to reveal their, their really, really uh, venomous. Yes. Uh, anti-Islam sentiment and Islamophobia you've yeah. seen. Jordan Peterson was someone who many many Muslims used to think some time ago that he, he was a possible ally uh, because he was you know anti this transgender woke uh, um, ideology but in fact he's turned out to be someone in, in his outrageous support from Benjamin you know the bomb them back to hell or something his tweet he issued a couple of weeks Precisely. ago. Precisely. Uh, the same we've seen the same from Matt Walsh I'm afraid. Um, yes. uh, the, the, the what is a woman chat um and we've seen the same from edward fesser unfortunately um the the catholic philosopher um and gavin ashenden 
um, uh, who's uh, unfortunately come out with a really crass kind of Tommy Robinson style, despite being a profoundly intelligent man, uh, Tommy Robinson style Islamophobia um, since this is all kicked off. So, um, yeah. Maybe Tommy Robinson is interesting, and Tommy Robinson himself actually was readmitted to Twitter. What a coincidence, about a week or two ago, at the oh, very, yeah. very, you know, interesting timing, and he's now back with couple of hundred three or four hundred thousand followers staring up his usual hatred so uh mm-hmm. even elon musk who is a hero to some in in extending freedom of thought and expression of course is nevertheless allowed him back on at this mm-hmm. particular moment in history uh and of course he's a fanatical pro-zionist and anti-muslim bigot if i may say yeah, so yeah my letter so yeah this ungrounded arbitrism can only result in the authoritarian imposition of pure will. Mm. And the awful truth is that the arbitrist voluntarism the Western liberal order is, and always has been, intrinsically authoritarian. And in the sense of impending doom from which the liberal order so clearly suffers, brought on both by the fantasy threat of Islamism and the cultural wars, the authorities are now finding it increasingly expedient to visibly brandish their latent authoritarian powers. And we see Suella Braverman's recent attempts um, to ban the protests. And uh, we we all know what happened to her, Hmm. uh, thank God, very recently. Um, Now, it is precisely in constituting one of the central pillars of this hidden authoritarian foundation that the importance of Israel lies as the aggressive emblem and bulwark of the neutral liberal order. By supporting Israel, the liberal order means to say that the existence of that Nietzschean nihilistan, that great secular nothing called Israel, is a key article of their creed. Created in the heart of the Holy Land in 1948, in the aftermath of the Allies' precious World War II, in which they so bravely firebombed Germany into oblivion from 30,000 feet, while more easily expendable Slavic lives finally overcame the Nazis on the ground. That war which stamped and sealed our entrance into the very anti-ethical world of post-morality that has now culminated in the October 7th war. For it is that secular nothing in the heart of the Middle East that symbolizes the so-called Middle East, that symbolizes the victory of the liberal secular way of life of self-interested individualism and arbitrist hedonism over the illusions of the regrettably still backward, namely those we tolerated in virtue of our enormous humanitarian sophistication, but can no longer tolerate. I, I, I love the English uh, sarcasm here. It, it's uh, it, it's a, 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 an implied narrative of irony in everything you say, well, not everything in this particular sentence. Yeah, yeah I, I think um, the English uh, audience may find that uh, easy to grasp. Um, and, and some Americans, especially from the East Coast, will find it easy to grasp. Um, but I, I'm glad you pointed that for the for the West Coasters. And I'm, I'm, I'm calling <laughs> <laughs> sure. Californians, yes, you might not get it. And I'm, I'm, we, we know some people in California who I'm sure will get it. But yeah, I know what you mean. No, of course. <laughs> um, of course, Israel is not and never has been a democracy. If it ever had been, the Palestinians would have voted the, Zion, voted the Zionists out before they ever had a chance to commence their planned Dalit of ethnic cleansing, yeah. their destruction in 1948 of 530 villages and their 50 massacres. 
But, but via Berdicheski and others, the Zionists are fully immunized by their Nietzschean will to powerism against true and false or right and wrong. Berdichevsky, of course, is a very, very important early Zionist ideologue and philosopher who represents really the, the right-wing Nietzschean branch of Zionism. It is indeed an inescapable fact, however uncomfortable, that the same post-ethical will to power that animated Nazism now animates Zionism. As the political theorist E.L. Chowers notes, Zionism emerged as a singular mixture of Nietzschean and Marxian themes. Zionism, as an all-embracing revolution, required the profanization of history and a generalized secularization in order to truly free the human sense of potency in the world. Or to make that word clear, clearer, the profanization of history. Mm. and a generalized secularization in order to truly free the human sense of potency, that pure will, that will to power, that asserting our will, because there's no objective meaning, there's no objective truth, there's, uh, there's no objective morality. We, we, might, we have to assert our individual and collective will upon the situation and, and create the state. This, this language is reminiscent of Nietzsche explicitly, but also of the National Socialists in 1930s. Uh, yes. he, he borrowed his language, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and now Netanyahu. I mean, I was thinking of on Twitter, you know, putting a recent quote from Netanyahu, which is pure social Darwinism, and just saying Adolf Hitler at the bottom, and then you know later say, well, actually, sorry, by the way, that was Netanyahu <laughs> Hitler, because because <laughs> it's uh, it could be Hitler. I mean, one hundred percent. In addition to this Nietzschean component, the logic and ethics of Zionism amount to those of Darwinian survival and Spencerian survival of the fittest. Herbert Spencer, of course, the, act, the coiner of the term survival of the fittest. Yeah. And in the same manner as their Western intimates, in Islam they can only see a terrifyingly unyielding representation of all that they feel compelled to intransigently deny about reality. Since Israel's whole constructed existence depends upon a lie, it will fight to the death to defend that lie, and it is an existential and hence moral exigency. If, if morality, the principle of the ultimate principle of morality and, and the conception of the good is pure survival, then an existential threat, an existential necessity or exigency will be a moral exigency. And it is an existential, hence moral exigency for it to annihilate anyone and anything that calls out the lie. And, and what, what, so intro, what is the lie in, in brief for, for viewers who may not be clear on what you mean? What, what is that lie? The lie, well, it's a multifaceted lie. It's a web of lies. But the most fundamental lie is that the, uh, this was a, a land without a people, for a people without a land, and that uh, the Jewish people had a right to this land because there were a few short-lived kingdoms yeah. Um, uh, two, more than 2,000 years ago, which is a logic that, if you extend it to any other place in the world, becomes absolutely absurd in every possible way. I mean, every country, there, there are many countries around the world where a previous um, 
We know that there, before the Israelites occupied Canaan, there were obviously the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Pisibites and the Philistines, etc., etc. Many people, nations, race, and so on, lived there uh, before the the alleged uh, extermination and genocide. I say alleged because the archaeologists, yes, perhaps they weren't exterminated. In fact, despite what it says in uh, the Bible, um, but the, the lie then is that, the, as you say, that the land was completely unoccupied and therefore mm. ripe for uh, inhabitation. But in fact, of course, people lived there. They were the Arab Muslims and Arab Christians. Uh, uh, and, and there were some Jews already living there, of course. But uh, uh, so it was very much, a, a, it was called Palestine, I understand. According to the, the Na National Geographic map, it actually has Palestine written on there. So, um, yeah. Well, the, 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 uh, the original uh, word that the Palestine Philistine um, uh, developed out of via Greek and via other languages was Pelotin, which is actually an older term. It was used before Israel was ever used, which is another interesting, interesting. Um, yeah. fact. Another thing is, I mean, the, part of that conception of um, uh, a land without the people for a people without a land um, what, what, was this idea that this is a this was a barren wasteland that hadn't been cultivated, which it, it's extraordinarily precisely the opposite of the truth. It was actually the most richly cultivated area in the Middle East. Mm. Um, the vast majority of Palestinians were farmers, uh, uh, and uh, it was a, a very, very richly and beautifully cultivated land before the uh, founding of the State of Israel. Um, Thanks. With, 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 with a lot of uh, very important uh, cities, um, uh, and a, a, a richly thriving intellectual culture in terms of traditional alum. Um, and uh, so it's just pure fantasy. I mean, it's a lie. It's a straightforward lie. Right. So that, that's the, um, the, Israel's whole constructive existence depends upon a lie, and it would fight to the death to defend that lie, which you say. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Well, there, there are all sorts of different ways that they deny it. I mean, Nakba denial is a, is a huge thing in Israel. Um, and that was the official line. Mm. Um, the official establishment line was that the Nakba never happened. It just didn't take place. This is the um, catastrophe, isn't it? The, the, the momentous event of the, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is the expulsion of the, uh, the ethnic cleansing of 750,000 at least Palestinians in 1948. Um, and the, 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 the establishment Israeli line was typically that, well, uh, the, the surrounding Arab nations forced them to leave or they left of their own accord. Um, and uh, it was a later generation of Israeli historians who um, categorically proved that this was another total lie. Yeah, Ilan uh, Pape famously in his book on ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Right, which you've done a, 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 a very nice video on. Um, in any case, so yeah. to proceed... Um, yes. Uh, so it becomes an existential and hence moral necessity for it to annihilate anyone and anything that calls out the lie. And since the United States and Britain have founded their self-definitional moral leadership of the world upon saving the Jews from the Nazi death camps, the survival of their own moral narrative also rests upon propping up the lie at all costs. Of course, that's not the only reason that they want to prop up Israel, but... Never mind that the United States and Britain had steadfastly turned countless Jewish refugees away at the outset of Nazi, Nazi persecution. 
or that in 1940 Britain had interred Jewish refugees as enemy aliens. For in the narrative, retrospectively, but nonetheless powerfully and indelibly projected back onto events, uh, the tricky moral quandaries of the Second World War, the firebombing of Hamburg, the annihilation of Dresden, are justified as exceptional cases warranted by the unprecedented genocidal evil of Hitler in destroying six million Jews. Again, never mind the history itself, which assures us that the deliberate targeting of German civilians in Hamburg and Dresden had precisely nothing to do with the fight against the ultimate evil of the Nazi genocide of the Jews. No, Sir Arthur Bomber Harris's stated aim in sanctioning those horrific crimes in which over half a million, over 600,000 actually, over half a million civilians were crushed or burned alive was to break the spirit of the German civilian population, uh, population, to break the spirit of the German civilian population to resist, simply to win the wall at all costs. <clears throat> the for excellent reasons, Harris said in 1941, has preferred the world to think that we still held some scruples and attacked only what the humanitarians are pleased to call military targets. I can assure you, gentlemen, that we tolerate no scruples. <laughs> Indeed, the first area bombing targeting civilians in the Second World War was ordered by Churchill and carried out by the RAF at Mönchengladbach, not by Hitler, as legend tells. I think this is a really important point. Just to dwell on this for a second, uh, I, I've got a book. Uh, I, I won't go and get it here um, by uh, a top British military historian uh, on this question of, of the aerial bombings in the Second World War, both German and British. Uh, mm. And uh, the the documentary evidence, uh, you know, in official archives, is very clear um, that the uh, the first, as as you say, area bombing, in other words, targeted civilian bombing during the Second World War was ordered by the British, not by the Germans. But this is the opposite of the popular myth, which is the Germans started bombing us, you know, bombing us. it's actually the other way around. We bombed the German cities deliberately. It wasn't accidental, but as an as a act of policy. Now, Hitler responded in kind, of course. He bombed London and, and Birmingham and so, so on. But as you say, it is actually a legend, and the evidence is that the the British, we, we started the massacre of civilians first, uh, and then the Germans copied us in retaliation. So, yeah, it's true, unfortunately. Yeah, they copied our concentration camps as well, I'm afraid. Yes, of course, there's so much here. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. These disconcerting inconsistencies in the received moral narrative make far better sense in light of the unpalatable truth that Hitler and the Nazis and the liberal West and Soviets who opposed him are all merely so many sides of the same equation. The Holocaust was not an aberration from which true Western civilization is innocent, but one of the worst crimes of post-Enlightenment modernity itself. It was committed by the same people and the same ideas, same people who firebombed Hamburg and Tokyo, nuked Hiroshima and Nagasaki, who ravaged Vietnam and Iraq, and now serve as funders and steadfast apologists for the Gaza genocide. Yet it was post-Enlightenment modernity itself that was the perpetrator of the Holocaust, just as it also perpetrated the chattel enslavement of the continent of Africa, the opium outrages in China, the annihilation of the Native Americans, the starvation and economic cleansing of India. Far from representing aberrations, these depravities were each inevitable consequences 
of the spirit of the age of exploration and the subsequent scientific revolution, namely the Baconian inversion of tripartite soul and society, wherein intellect was subordinated to spiritedness and power, as well as the subsequent Humean Enlightenment Industrial Revolution progression of the inversion in which intellect was subordinated to desire and the passions. So this is essentially talking about the tripartite soul of Plato, which he locates in, in the soul and subsequently has a, possesses a manifestation in society in virtue of the fact that societies are made up of individuals. So the probably balanced soul, the, the soul possesses three faculties, which is the intellect, spiritedness and, and desire. And Socrates in the Republic proves this by saying uh, with a thought, what you'd call today a thought experiment of a man who's incredibly thirsty um, and someone puts a glass of water on the table and says, uh, this is water, there's a, a, a glass of poisoned water. And the the man is basically on death's door. He's not quite quite going to die if he doesn't have a drink of water, but he's in a state of extreme discomfort. And so what proceeds from this is what ensues here is uh, an inward conflict mm. because the man is desperately thirsty. That's desire. He wants the water. Mm. Now, if he didn't know with his intellect a certain fact, mm -hmm. a visible fact about the water, um, he'd go ahead and drink the water right now. But there's another. So the, the faculty of desire wants to attract benefit to itself. So it's, it wants to, it's jelbal manafat. It wants to, uh, uh, to, to bring benefit to itself. And the faculty of spiritedness, more colloquially, the faculty of anger, wants to, is, is, uh, Death al madarra wants to ward off harm, wants to keep harm away. Mm. So there's a conflict here. On the one hand, he desperately wants to drink the water, and on the other hand, he wants to keep the harm of the poison away. Mm. Now, if it was just those two faculties of, of spiritedness and desire, he wouldn't be able to make a decision. The intellect then intervenes and decides, well, if I'm going, I'm, I'm, my thirst will be quenched for two minutes if I drink the poisoned water, but then I'll die, sadly. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, it weighs up these different outcomes, possible outcomes, and it says, well, I'll have to abstain from drinking the water, despite how incredibly thirsty I am. And um, Socrates deduces from this thought experiment that there are indeed three quite separate faculties within the soul. Now, what is, this is not just a philosophical historical curiosity, the tripartite soul became absolutely standard scientific fact, as it were, in today's language, uh, in the Muslim sciences, in the Islamic sciences, in the medieval Christian world, in their intellectual output, and systems, and in the Jewish world. So this this was absolutely central and important and a, a fundamental principle, um, really unquestionable principle uh, in uh, the, the traditional world, the pre-modern world, as it were. And so uh, a, a, a well-ordered society 
is one in which, again, the, the spiritedness, which is represented anger, which is represented by the uh, martial domain, which is represented by the, what the ruler puts in place in terms of military yeah. and police. Or, and or, or, or what's in my translation of the Republic called the auxiliaries in, in, in the Platonic kind of Republic. So you have the philosopher king and the auxiliaries, the army, the, the, right. the military who defend and against uh, 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 aggressors and so on. Yeah, but I, I do recommend people to read uh, Plato's uh, Republic. It's extremely readable. It's all dialogue, conversation between uh, Socrates oh, yeah. and a bunch of guys. And, uh, and uh, it is such a... Uh, a seminal work on Western philosophy, political theory, both, as you say, in the Christian West, the Islamic world, and the Jewish world uh, as well. Hugely, sorry, I interrupted you there, but I just wanted to flag up the importance of the book that you're referring to. And if you understand the modern world, it's, it's, it's still a very, very key text to, you know, it's studied on you know, degree courses, postgraduate work in the States and Britain. It's still a key text to, to uh, really get under your belt if you haven't read it already. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so then, you know, desire yep. uh, would be, re uh, uh, would be um, represented by the merchant class, right? Those uh, working in agriculture, right? And so, but the point is, and then the intellectual um, class uh, is, you know, is most paradigmatically uh, manifest in the person of the philosopher king. Mm, exactly. um, and so... But, but, but what it represents more broadly is philosophy itself, is the love of wisdom, mm -hmm. uh, putting everything in its proper place um, and finding out the true, uncovering the true realities and natures of things. Now, so these, these are potencies which are latent in any society, but, but a society in terms of a hierarchy can be ordered in many different ways. So it can be ordered with the martial component at the top, right? Um, and uh, let's say desires coming after that. So the, the main concern, let's say, of the society, it's a very aggressive military society, let's say like North Korea. Um, and then secondary to that uh, is trade and, and the economy and so on. And then intellect, because we don't believe in objective truth, for example, or we, we, we espouse a kind of relativism, comes last. It's, 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 and, you know, this is Humean in the sense that uh, Hume very famously said that reason is and should be and can only be the slave of the passions. Because mm. um, David Hume is the, uh, the Scottish Enlightenment philosopher from the 18th century, uh, people don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so society could be ordered in, in any of these many different configurations but the, the properly ordered society is one in which uh, uh, desire is subordinate to intellect and spiritedness is subordinate to intellect. And spiritedness actually has a type of priority to desire as well. Um, and, but when you have a society which is inverted, you get all sorts of uh, imbalances and problems developing in the society so certainly the society we live in today is one which enshrines desire at the top of the hierarchy everything is to serve pleasure um, everything is to serve indulgence um, uh, and, and and everything is to serve 
the economy. The economy becomes the most important consideration in the society. Now, the point is that there's been a progression from the pre-modern, fairly universal order where it's understood that intellect governs. Um, and these other considerations are important, but they have to be subordinate. They're important in the individual. It's not to negate desire. It's not to negate um, spiritedness and that moral sense of righting or wrong. But they have to be subordinate to intellect in order to uh, exist in harmony uh, and, and uh, in a just balance. Now, many identify Bacon. It's not that everything's contained in a single individual, but he is emblematic of this change, that Bacon subordinated the uh, role of intellect to power. Mm. So uh, intellect and philosophy and knowledge of the world stopped being a, a means to the contemplation of God, a, a means to um, uncovering the true essence and true nature of reality. Um, for the greater glory of God, but rather became about it all to be subordinated and directed towards the mastery of the physical world and um, uh, and uh, uh, reinforcing the power of empire and the power of the ruler and so on via technology, via expiration. Um, and so that this is a very... Very significant change. Of course, Bacon is not. He, he's emblematic of this of this turn. Um, it's not all about Bacon by any means. Um, and then the final stage is is the the subordination of all to economic production, the industrial revolution, um, to um, the enshrinement of uh, desire and pleasure um, as the highest ideals, a hedonism, as it were, of the other society. So that's just a little, just, uh, you know, I didn't want that to. Um, that's very helpful. That, it, that really needed unpacking a bit, actually, I think, to uh, give a deep, deeper sense of what you're saying. Um, thank you. Um, so where are we up to in the article? Well, let me read that again. So far from representing aberrations, these depravities were each inevitable consequences of the spirit of the age of exploration and the subsequent scientific revolution, namely the Baconian inversion of tripartite soul and society, wherein intellect was subordinated to spiritedness and power, as well as the subsequent human enlightenment industrial revolution progression of the inversion in which intellect was subordinated to desire and the passions. And they are no less the inevitable consequences of Luther's separation of faith and reason, of the extirpation of formal essences and final purposes, formal and final causes, causes not causes, it's causes, and secondary qualities from nature, of the Cartesian split of, I had to deny knowledge in order to make room for faith, of render therefore unto Caesar such things which are Caesar's. For a futile moment, after October 7th, the Western powers attempted their own moral resuscitation by again invoking the time-honored narrative of their moral saviorhood, right? So it's all, oh, anti-Semitism is 
raising its ugly head again and the Holocaust never again and so forth. But, you know, we stand with Israel because we'll never allow that type of barbarity to come again, to happen again. For a futile moment after October 7th, the Western powers attempted their own moral resuscitation by again invoking the time-honored narrative of their moral saviorhood, only for it to fatally backfire this time and only serve instead to demonstrate their terminal moral illegitimacy. But, Meanwhile, by, by, by which you mean the continued genocide in Gaza, presumably, whilst they were invoking the fear of the Holocaust, one uh, it, after its own fashion is continuing in the occupied in, in Gaza. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And I, I mean, we've never I don't think this has ever happened in the way that it's happening because it's being the, the scale of barbarity and the depravity of the barbarity and the shamelessness of the bar barbarity is comparable to anything that we know of in history. Mm -hmm. Not yet on the scale because there hasn't been enough time, mm -hmm. but it's comparable to anything in, in history. But the difference is this is being live streamed to the world. This is the difference. This is the difference. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's upsetting. I don't really want to go into this. I mean, I, I, I opened up my Twitter feed this morning and, you know, I, I was seeing pictures of dead, I mean, uh, dead babies. Right. And stuff. I, mean, I was having breakfast, you know, I mean, you, you yeah. can't avoid it. It's wall to wall now. And nor, yeah. should, we, nor, nor should we avoid no, it. Sure. it going on of course, uh, but it, it's in our faces now, and we can't avoid the uh, the, the catastrophe that's uh, happening as we and the sense of powerlessness, the sense of uh, trauma. This must uh, induce in the people, countless people around the world, who can do nothing except yeah. observe this horror. It, it is a real problem, actually, as well. Yeah, yeah, um, anyway, yeah sorry, interrupting. Meanwhile, the invocation of the Holocaust has lost its power, for in surely one of the supreme ironies of history. Israel have themselves supplanted their own Nazi reference point of supreme evil. Western genocide apologism after October the 7th has forever imprinted in our hearts and minds all that makes the declining, flailing post-Enlightenment West so dangerous. Its lack of any stable, unnegotiable morality for anything can be countenanced in that dismal anti-ethics of post-morality the calculus of survival. Gosh, thank you. And that's the end of the article. Um, there, there's so much there that one, one could go over. We don't have the time to do that, of course. Um, I, I, I think there's just one, or just one sentence of so many points you make. Where, where early on you say it has, like no other event before it, this is the October the seventh war, fully exposed liberal secular society's much vaunted diversity of cultural cultural and intellectual expression as no more than appearance and i i, I interpret that i i read that as very much the the clampdown on any kind of dissent uh intellectual demonstrating uh uh e even on facebook and instagram whether it be in britain or germany or wherever it is being suppressed uh, as you say, fully exposing the liberal, secular liberal society's much vaunted a diversity of intellectual expression, which has been ruthlessly uh, clamped down on. And it's no more than an appearance. And this has been a, a wake up moment for millions of people to show that, uh, in fact, it's en empty rhetoric, uh, actually, um, no more than an appearance of yeah. uh, you know, diversity and freedom, as, as you rightly say, I think. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Very sad. Very sad. Um, mm. It'd be nice if I if we could uh, link to this article uh, somewhere. Maybe I'll we, we can arrange that so people can 
uh, read it for themselves and reflect on, on what you've said because it's quite dense in in places and quite intellectually uh, compact and be worth uh, people reflecting further on that. So um, I know I know we've got to rush off. So um, thank you very much, uh, Hassan. Um, it's thank good you. to a Muslim philosopher reflecting on these uh, issues, bringing some depth, intellectual depth to. Uh, the superficial discourse, certainly in the West that we hear. Um, so thank you very much uh, for that. Thank you so much, Paul. Take care.